Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Grab your Bibles with me if you would. Please turn to Acts chapter 2. Um, I, I don't know why. I'm just kind of sitting here looking at you. You look good today. You do. I was, I was in Ocala, Florida last Sunday. had the privilege of speaking at a church that my, my half-brother pastors there in uh, Meadowbrook Church in Ocala. Just a great church. We had a really cool opportunity. Did you enjoy Doug Clay last week? That's my pastor. And uh, yeah, I was so glad that he could be here. But I'm just sitting here going, man, am I glad I'm here and not in Ocala? I might not feel that way in February, but I'm glad today, and uh, it's great to have you here. Take your Bibles with me, turn to Acts chapter 2, and uh, so excited about what I think God wants to stir in our hearts today through his word. I shared this little analogy on, on Wednesday night, but um, I felt like it was, it was important to hit it again. When Ron and I were um, preparing to get married, we did premarital counseling, which if you you get married by one of our pastors here at Calvary, you'll go through a process like that as well. And so we did it with one of our, our professors and leaders at the college that we were a part of. And, and uh, we sat down with, with Gary Brugman, and he walked us through this premarital counseling process. And I remember so clearly one of the things that he said to us, it was really helpful, the whole process. But one of the things he said was, don't get so wrapped up in the wedding, the planning, the preparation, the details, the money, the, the stress that comes with that day. Don't get so wrapped up in the wedding that you forget this is about a marriage, which I thought was really good because you can let an experience be everything that you put your focus on and fail to remember, fail to realize that it's what the experience means, what comes out of that, that the whole thing is about. If all you're focused on is the wedding, you're going to miss the point that it's a marriage. What's cool is God has allowed us to have some really cool spiritual experiences lately. You know, we've been working our way through the book of Acts, and we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's been interesting because a lot of you, more than usual, one, have stayed awake, and two, have come back to me (laughs) and said, God's doing something in my heart. He's stirring something in me. What we've experienced in our Wednesday night services, we've been doing the the Spirit-filled life services this Wednesday will be the last one, as people have prayed together and, and seeking out to the Lord. There's been something new or new again that some people are experiencing. We're having some unique spiritual experiences as a church, and it's cool because God's pouring out his spirit on us in a new way. But if we think it's about the experience, then we miss the point. We're, we're in the book of Acts, right? And we're, we're, we're starting our way through. In fact, we're going to um, move into a whole new series next week. We've been talking about the next big thing. We're going to start a new series next week where we look at the end of Acts chapter 2 and what Scripture says to us about the church. But, but we've learned a couple of things. We've learned that Acts was written by... Anybody remember who Acts was written by? It was written by Luke. And he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. The, the book of Luke is volume 1. The, the book of Acts is volume 2. Luke tells us what Jesus did. Acts tells us what the Spirit wants to do that Jesus pours out, that, that Spirit wants to do through us. And because it's so much about the Holy Spirit, in fact, the gift that Jesus says he's going to give at the beginning of the, the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit... The next big thing to come, he says to the disciples, will be the Spirit being poured out in you. Because of that, we took three weeks just to talk about the Holy Spirit. We look at what Paul said about the Spirit, how he challenged us to live a a Spirit-led life, to be led by the Spirit, life in the Spirit. And then we looked at the Gospel of John, where it says that the Spirit comes to be our our comforter, our counselor, uses that word advocate, the one who goes alongside of us. And then when we got to the Gospel of Luke, we saw how he talks about how we can be filled with the Spirit, how he wants us to be full of the Spirit. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the historical instance, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, where 
the, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And there's the sound of wind and, and they see the tongues of fire and they speak in other tongues. And it is one of arguably the most incredible spiritual experiences that happens in all of scripture. That people come literally in physical contact with the presence of God as the Holy Spirit is poured out, the promise, the gift that Jesus said would be given. And it's this powerful thing that we've looked at and that we've seen. The key is this, though. We have to ask ourselves the question, then what happens? What happens next? You, you have one of the most incredible experiences all of Scripture. And then what? We read through some of this on Wednesday night, but... But what was interesting was all the disciples begin to speak with other tongues, and the people that hear them hear the languages from the places they're from being spoken, because it was the day of Pentecost, right? So you have Jewish people from literally all over the known world who have come to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. They're from literally all these places that you read in Acts chapter 2, and they hear the disciples speaking, not just with accents, they hear them speaking their languages in their dialects in perfect form, not like a foreign speaker, but because they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, they hear these things, and they're like, what is this all about? God uses supernatural things to get people's attention sometimes, doesn't he? But not everybody gets it. Some of them say, this is a little hokey here. These, these people must be drunk. And Peter has to speak up, and he says to them, these folks are not drunk as you suppose, what you are seeing here is the promise that God has given to pour out his Holy Spirit. And so he goes on to talk about this. He quotes prophecy from the prophet Joel. He begins to tie Old Testament scriptures to the New Testament truth about Jesus. He begins to tell them about how Jesus is the one that they were looking for and the one who is to come. And what happens here is the Holy Spirit begins to speak through Peter in such a powerful way to move through him that literally thousands of lives are changed as a result. Powerful things happen when the Holy Spirit moves through people. Isn't that true? So why have we talked about this for so long? Because we want the Holy Spirit to move through us and to move through his church and to touch us and to be at work in our lives. We want the Spirit of God to do something through us. You know what I learned this week? I learned that for many people, actually a vast majority of people, their number one fear is public speaking. Any of you? Some people? Based, based on the way that you're not responding to anything I say, it's just become mine, actually. Um, it's become my greatest fear, right? We have these fears, right? So here's what happens. I say, God wants to move in your life by the Holy Spirit. You hear, well, when he did it in Peter's life, Peter had to stand up and begin to preach. But I don't like talking in front of people, so I'd rather not have the Holy Spirit move in my life. I'd be afraid of that. Look, don't let the idea of the Holy Spirit moving in you or working through you freak you out because you don't have to stand and preach a sermon. Your life is your sermon, right? The way that you live preaches the gospel. And you don't have to go to Jerusalem to do it. Your world is your Jerusalem, your home, where you work, where you go to school, the people you interact with, even in your church. As the Holy Spirit works through you, he preaches through your life in the places where he's called you to, in the roles that he's given to you. So we want to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. That's what's been so key about talking about these spiritual experiences. But when you have a spiritual experience, you have to ask the question, now what? What next? When we read about the Holy Spirit being poured out on the disciples in Acts chapter 2, we have to ask, and then what happened? What was this really all about? 
What I want to share with you today are four things that happen when the Spirit moves. When the Spirit moves in your life, when the Spirit empowers you, when the Spirit works through you, if you want to be open to being used by the Holy Spirit, to having spiritual experiences, these are four things that that if if God is truly working in your life, that will happen when the Spirit moves. We're going to look at what, what takes place as Peter wraps up his sermon and then how the sermon impacts others, and you'll see that as the Spirit moved through him, this is what happened, and I believe that as the Spirit moves through you, this is what will happen. Four things that happen when the Spirit moves. Here's number one. Jesus will be the focus. If the Spirit moves through you, then be assured that Jesus will be the focus. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. This is the very end of Peter's sermon. I'll let you go back and read the rest of Acts chapter 2. He, he ties all these Old Testament scriptures to who Jesus is as a person. And this is his concluding statement. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. I love the phrase that he uses there when he says, be assured of this. He's like saying, look, everything I've told you leads up to this. It all, it all closes in on this. I want you to know this for sure, that Jesus, who you crucified, he is the one that God has chosen to be the Lord and the Messiah. Peter has just had one of the most extraordinary spiritual experiences that anyone ever has ever experienced. And what does he preach about? He preaches about Jesus. What does he say about him? Well, he says that Jesus is Lord. He he points this out. He he wants them to see this, that if there's a truth he wants them to grasp, it's that Jesus is Lord. He's the sovereign God. He's the one who is in heaven. He's the one who's in control. And as you read Acts chapter 2, you'll watch him tie these Old Testament scriptures in that give him the title that he is the Lord. He's sovereign which means he, he makes the decisions. He's in heaven, which means he's overall. He's the son of God, which means there's no one else like him. He is God himself come in human form. And we have to recognize that he is the Lord. He is in control. And you and I have to answer the question, what do we do with that? Because when I'm confronted with that truth of Jesus being Lord, I, I really have one of two responses. For many people, we fight against it. We go, are you sure, really, somebody's in control? There's somebody bigger than me? And whether we speak it or even are aware of it or not, we can have a tendency to push back on him being our Lord. Sometimes we fight it. We're we're best to follow him and to say, if he's Lord, then I will follow him. Which raises this really, I I think, kind of a fundamental question in our culture, in in our, I, I would say, really specifically in our nation, because if, if you think about it, and, and we can argue all kinds of things, but the United States of America is, is a Christian nation in the sense that if you poll people and you ask them, what is your religion? What, what, where, what is your spiritual background? The vast majority of people will say that they are a Christian. If you walk up to someone and say, hey, what's your family's religious background? They'll say, Christian. You ask somebody, hey, what, what kind of faith do you practice? They'll say, I'm a Christian. But there's a big difference between saying that I'm a Christian and saying that Jesus is my Lord, right? There's a huge difference. It's not just what you give some mental assent to or you say, hey, that's my heritage. But when you say he's the one that's in control of my life, he's the one that I look to to find my confidence and my hope and my strength. He's the one that I know will guide and direct me. He's the one whose will I surrender my will to. He's my Lord. That's a different statement for us to make. And the question is, is he? Is he your Lord? Peter says that Jesus is Lord, and then he says that Jesus is the Messiah, 
That word Messiah is, uh, is, is, a, is a Greek word, and we don't, we don't always fully understand it, but it means Christ. It means Savior. It was what the angels said to the shepherds when they showed up in Bethlehem. Remember, they said, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He's the one who's come to save us from our enemies so that we can be set free. Think about that. That, that, was, his, that was his role. And the Jewish people thought that meant that the Messiah would come and save them from their enemy of Rome so they could be set free from tyranny. But God knew our greater enemy was sin and death and that Jesus came to set us free from that enemy. He came to be our Savior and our Messiah. And this is a really key thing because what you see here is Peter is not making a big deal out of the experience. And he's not making a big deal out of the moment. He's making a big deal out of Jesus because he's the one we're supposed to make a big deal out of, which means I'm about to burst some bubbles. Are you ready? It's not about you. Life's not about us. I remember, I remember when our kids were little, and, and I'm not throwing any of, of our three kids under the bus because they all did this at some point. There would come a point where one of the kids would have a birthday right? Pretty big day. You only get it, what, once every 365 days, right? It's a big deal. So you have your birthday. It would be one of the kids' birthdays, and one of the other two, Ron and I have three kids, one of the other two would have a hard time accepting the fact that it wasn't their day. Do you know what I mean? Like, you might have a party for this one, and this one is having a hard time believing that that party's not secretly for them, right? They're drawing attention to themselves. They're making a big deal out of themselves. They're acting out. They're trying to show off in front of family, and at some point, you, you, you have birthday kid over here, and you want to grab possessed kid over here, and, and you want to say to them, this is not about you. You're acting out here. None of us ever do that, right? None of us ever try to throw our own party in the midst of somebody else's party. It's called a pity party. Been there? And we have to recognize that when we have experiences in life, when we have spiritual experiences in life, when God works in our lives, it's never about the experience and it's not about you. It is about him. Think of this. This spiritual experience that Peter has, he does not make about himself, which is his um, pattern, actually, if you think about it. Rewind to one of the last times that we saw Peter publicly in the temple area speaking. What did we see him doing? We saw him three times denying that he ever even knew Jesus. Go back to the Gospels, right, before the crucifixion. Peter's challenged, and three times he says, look, I don't even know this guy, Jesus. I don't even know who you're talking about. Because he was so worried about protecting himself that he would lie in that instance, something has happened here now, though, because he's had this spiritual experience. When he was filled with the Spirit, Peter's focus went from self-preservation to divine purpose. And this same thing will happen in our lives. If you'll be open to the Holy Spirit's leading, at some point, you can be in a place where you say, I'm willing to put my own will, my own desires, my own needs aside so that I can be used by God. It's not about you, and it's not about the experience Look, I, I know some people that, that want to kind of chase after spiritual experiences. Think of what happened here. There was wind. There was fire. There was, uh, I was going to say earth. That's a band from the 60s, 70s, wasn't it? That's, that's, uh, there was uh, tongues, flame, uh, the, the flames of tongues, and speaking in tongues. But ultimately, where does Peter go? He brings it back to Jesus. He doesn't talk about the cool experience he just had. He talks about the one who gave it to him. Peter doesn't talk about the power. Peter talks about the person. And so in your spiritual life, who's it about? Is it about the little 
quiver you get in your liver sometimes? Is it about you? Or is it about Jesus? Because when you make it about Jesus, watch what happens next. Number two, second thing, number two, people will take notice. When the Spirit moves in your life and you make it about Jesus, people will take notice. Listen to the words here. This is powerful. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. You've got, as we'll find out, thousands of people who are in Jerusalem for Pentecost. They hear Peter speak. When the people heard this, they were, I love this language, cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You ever heard something that cuts you right to the heart? I mean, it cuts past all your defenses, almost moves right past your emotions. It just kind of gets you right here. And, and it comes with this certain sense of clarity. It's a powerful phrase. It got right to them. What's your natural response when you're cut to the heart? For a lot of people, it's so disarming when that happens that we can have a tendency to push it away again, right? Or we go, I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. I don't like that it cut right through my defenses. It, it, it went right to me, and we try to push that back. In part, that's what happened when, when some in the crowd heard the disciples speaking in tongues. Remember what they said? Acts chapter 2, verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Are they drunk? Which was kind of a natural response, right? Because they're trying to figure out why else would they be doing this? Their, their natural pushback on what the Spirit was doing came from the fact that oftentimes we have a hard time understanding the things that we don't understand or the things that we can't control. And when we encounter those things, our natural response is, I don't get this, so I'm going to push it away. I can't have control over that, so I push it away. And we need to watch out for that because sometimes the Spirit will bring something that cuts us right to the heart. We'll be reading God's Word, and, and it hits us here. Someone will be used by God to speak a word of encouragement or a word of challenge to us, and it hits us here. And if we don't like it, understand it, or can't control it, what's our natural response? We push it away. Peter knew this. That's why he says this. Look at verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. He goes out of his way to say, look, I want you to get this. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. He says, look, don't, don't push this away. See, one response when you're cut to the heart is that you can push it away. The other is that you can open up your heart to it. And you can hear what's been spoken. You can hear what's come your way. And you can realize that you can either fight it or ignore it or you can be open to it. And the same is true when we have spiritual experiences. And, and this is key. And, and, and track with me here for a couple moments because when you have a spiritual experience, it's important that you understand it and it's important that you help those in your world to understand it. Because if God's gonna work through you, there can be times where that can be confusing or not quite sure. Spiritual experience requires biblical explanation. If you have a spiritual experience that doesn't line up with Scripture, there's a good chance that it's not a scriptural spiritual experience, right? And that, that means it's, this is not a good experience. And Peter says, look, I want you to understand that what is going on in my life is something that lines up with God's Word. Why is this important? Because your life should cause other people to ask what's different about you. There should be something in the way that you live. 
in the words that you speak. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm not saying you don't ever make mistakes. But even in those times, you seek forgiveness and you show grace. That there's something about you that the people around you will see Jesus in you. And when they do, if they don't know him, they should ask, what is this all about? Because the way that you live should cut to their heart. Does that make sense? And when they see that spiritual experience, that's when you give them a biblical explanation. People should look at you and see that you're different. Please not that you're weird, just that you're different. If you're weird, tell them you go to a different church. Is that okay? (laughs) Just help us out here. But here's the way it works, right? If you're living in that way, people are going to see it, and then you need to look for ways to help them see what you have so they can have it too. The spirit-filled believer finds relevant ways to share Jesus with others. The spirit-filled believer will look for those divine appointments, will look for times and places where they can be used by God and how they can share their life with others. This is exactly what Peter does. He preaches a masterful sermon in Acts chapter 2. But it wasn't just a powerful sermon. It was a relevant sermon. He's speaking to an audience filled with Jewish people who are devout Jews keeping the holy holidays. So he takes Old Testament scriptures, which they know, And he ties them to the truth about Jesus, which they don't. And when he connects the two together, it cuts them to the heart because he found a relevant way to communicate with them. If he had preached this same sermon in some place where they didn't know the Jewish scriptures, it wouldn't have the same power. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit so that the the way that you live your life, the words that you live, the, the way that you live can communicate to people in a way where God can be at work in their lives. That's why we do Serve Week. You know, Leah was talking about Serve Week a couple of minutes ago. We don't do Serve Week just so we can get a cool t-shirt. And we don't do Serve Week just so we can feel good about ourselves. We do it because we believe this, that when we go out and serve others, it communicates to others in a way that opens their heart so that God's word can cut to the heart so they can experience the same life change that we've had. Does that make sense? And when we serve others, it's a language they can understand. Man, that's love. That's care. That's mercy and grace. Now you have my attention. Now I can hear about Jesus. Spirit-filled believers find relevant ways to share Jesus with others. And then look at what Peter says to them, because this is interesting. He, He preaches his sermon. It cuts them to the heart, and they ask the question. This is important. They sense what's happened in their heart, and then they ask the question, what do we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's going to be times when you're going to sense the Spirit cut to your heart. Now, for some of you, that, that may be happening right now. When I've talked about Jesus as Lord and Messiah or Savior, your forgiver, your Savior, When I talk about the Spirit speaking to your hearts, for some of you, that's happening right now. And you're like, man, I need that. Before we're done here today, we're going to pray and and, and believe that God can begin to do that work in your life. But even for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, there will be times when the Spirit stirs and moves and speaks to us. And when the Spirit cuts to the heart, we need to think about that. We need to consider that and respond in some way because you can't ignore it. But I believe this, that when you ignore it, you miss out on what God wants to do, right? And the more you ignore it, the less you're able to sense it. 
Have you ever been, have you ever been driving? Maybe you're going somewhere and let's, let's, uh, let's rewind back to like pre-GPS days. Are you with me? Okay, you're driving, you're going somewhere and all of a sudden you just get that sinking feeling. I think I may be going the wrong direction. You been there? Did I, did I miss my exit? Did I, did I take the wrong turn? Am I going the right way? And when you, when you get that moment, when it hits you, it kind of cuts to the heart. Oh, man, are you kidding me? Am I going the wrong direction? Now, if I'm by myself, I might pull over and try to figure it out or see a gas station or something like that. I'll go in and ask that kind of thing. But if my family's with me, if other people are with me, I'm just going to keep on driving because I'm too full of pride. <laughs> Stop. Ask. Brothers, am I going the right way here? And then if you're going the wrong way, what's the best thing to do? What I do, so many times, if I figured out I went the wrong way, I sit there and calculate how much time I've lost. Anybody else? Man, I'm 15 minutes past that exit. I've got to go back 15 minutes. Then I've got to do this. Oh, man, there's that. I don't know about this. Probably traffic. Blah, 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 blah. Like you run through all that. Stop it. Just turn around. Just turn around and go back the right direction and move in the direction you're supposed to go. This is exactly what happens in this story. This is exactly what we need to do when the Spirit cuts to our heart. If you sense the Spirit speaking to your heart, don't ignore it. Listen to that. And then if you've got to ask, if you've got to search, what did they say? Brothers, what do we do? If you need to say, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? Or you need to go to his word or you need to ask for help, do that. And then when the time is right, repent and turn around. If the Spirit is saying, hey, look, you're not going in the right direction here, or there's another direction that I want you to go, it's okay to turn around and go in that direction. Don't waste time thinking about what you've lost. Get going in the right direction as soon as you can. And this is what Peter says to them. The Spirit has spoken to your heart. You have opened yourself up to ask the right questions. Now turn and go in that direction doesn't even mean that you're going in the wrong direction. Just make sure you're going in the direction of the Spirit. And then live in that way. It's a powerful truth. Here's the point. It is important that we steer our hearts in the direction that the Spirit moves. When the Spirit is moving, it's important that we listen and steer our hearts in the direction that the Spirit is moving in. That's why, just from a very practical sense, I'm so thankful I've got a GPS on my phone. Anybody else? Man, I got my money's worth out of that for sure. Except for a couple of times. When I set that thing up and I put her there, my little driving companion, because I know when I get to the place I need to turn or get off the exit or do whatever, she's going to let me know. And I have the volume all the way down. <laughs> and I'm just cruising around. I'm just driving. And I never hear her screaming at me. Are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? When the Spirit speaks to your heart and says, look, this is the direction that we need to steer in here, Chad. This is the way we need to go. Are you listening? Are you open? Because if you are, if, you, if you'll focus on Jesus, people will notice. And when they do, let me, let me show you two more things. Number three, the church will thrive. When the Spirit moves in God's people, the church will thrive. Now, we're going we're gonna to park here for, for a few weeks here starting next week. But, but look at this. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Watch this. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a pretty good church service, isn't it? 3,000? What they start with, 120? That's just pretty crazy. The, the growth that God brought, that the church began to thrive. Look, we're going to talk for the next few weeks about what the church is supposed to look like. And this, this is key because we're going to look at it right from Scripture. Please don't miss these messages because I think they're really significant for us in this season for us as a church. And I know people are out of town. There's all that kind of stuff. We've, we've got stuff online. We've got our app. We've got our five o'clock service, different things. Let me encourage you. I think these are really important for how God wants to speak to our church because he wants the church to thrive. First church service that they have on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 converts. That's pretty good, right? Watch what happens next. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Added to their number daily. That's not a bad stat, is it? Wouldn't you like to be a part of a church where people are saved every day? All seven of us. That's awesome. It's hoping for 10, but that's fine. 12, we got disciples. But seven, that's cool. We'll start there. I want to be a part of a church where God is adding to their number every day. Understand that God is looking to do something that touches not just you. He wants to work through you so that the church can thrive and people can be touched so that life change can happen and that the church can grow. The goal of a spiritual encounter, the spiritual encounters you have with God, whether it's when you sit alone with him and open his word, whether it's when you come to church and sense something in your spirit, whether you're here on one of these Wednesday night services, our last one will be this Wednesday night in this series. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Maybe you're here and you experience something. When you have a spiritual encounter, it's never a personal experience. It's not just for you to have and hold on to. It's so that God can work and move through you and that as a result, that his church can thrive and grow. And for some of us, to be quite honest, oftentimes for me included, when we talk about church growth, it can get kind of muddy. Because there's some people who are like, I'm, I'm not so sure about a big church. Or I'm not sure how a church should grow. And I'll just, I'll just be real honest. In ministry, I, I've got friends, I know people, that their whole goal is a big church. Like, like they, they want to have a church of a certain size, or they feel like there's a certain status or a certain place. And to be quite honest, it's a pretty easy, easy thing to fall into. To the point that sometimes I wrestle with even talking about church growth or how big a church should be. But let's just talk about this for a moment. The bottom line is this. If something is healthy, it will grow, right? If something is healthy, internally it will grow. It will grow stronger. It will develop. It will mature. And externally, its reach will grow if it is growing in a healthy way. That's just a principle of nature. So when we talk about the church growing, we're not looking at for some kind of seats or numbers. We're about stories and names, right? That more and more people are touched. And I've had to kind of come to terms with this, and God has helped me to see this. The goal is not to grow a big church, but for the church to grow. The goal isn't to just be a part of something that you call a big church, but if the church stops growing, you've got issues then, right? Right? We need to be reaching people and touching people. And this is what we're going to kind of look at in these next few weeks. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit moves through his church? 
Why is this important? Fourth thing that happens. Okay, Jesus will be the focus. People will take notice. You're going to have a church that thrives. Number four, when the Spirit moves through you, lives will be changed. Number four, lives will be changed. Peter replied, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He, he calls them to life change. He says, look, there's something more than what you have, and I want you to have it. There's grace and mercy and love and hope and peace and forgiveness and eternal life that you can experience, and I want you to have it. And he calls them to this, and it begins with repentance, and they have to take this step into a public profession of this and the Spirit's power in their lives. And watch what he says in verse 40. This, this, um, this challenged me. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. When was the last time that you, you felt the Spirit of God leading you to warn somebody, to plead with somebody, that there's life for them in Jesus Christ? Not to be obnoxious, not to be rude, not to be weird, not to badger somebody, to literally say to somebody, because I love you, there's truth I want you to know. He warned them. He pleaded with them. And if he hadn't, who wouldn't have been reached? And that I would be open to the Holy Spirit's leading so that when the time was right, I would speak to someone with passion and with grace, and with mercy, and love about their need to find faith in Jesus Christ. Look, my fear is that we would become a church that was so excited about our experience that we would miss out on the point of the whole thing. If your spiritual experience does not find an expression of service, it will become stale or toxic. Think about this for just a moment. If your spiritual experience, what God has done in your life, call it salvation, call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, call it the way the Spirit speaks to you through his word. If, if when the Spirit moves in your life, it, if it does not find some expression in which God uses you in ministry, it doesn't mean you have to preach on a platform. It may mean the way that you interact with others in your workplace, in your school, the way that you interact with those in your neighborhood, the way that you serve your family, the difference that's in your life that others can see. If your spiritual experience does not flow out of you, in an act of, of service of some kind in the church, outside the church, doesn't matter, then what's inside of you will eventually become stale and can even become toxic. Does that make sense? You take anything that's supposed to flow, air, water, doesn't matter. You take anything that's supposed to flow and you stop that flow. What becomes to that? You ever walked into a room filled with stale air? You ever been around standing water? It becomes nasty. And that same thing will happen if you and I do not allow the work that the Holy Spirit does in us on a Sunday to change lives on Monday. If you are touched, but your world is not, you have missed the point. If the Spirit touches you, if God's Word touches you, if, if His power changes your life in some way, 
If you're touched and your world is not, you've completely missed the point. Let me, let me, let me use something that's just incredibly cliche. I know this. But let's say one day you get a call from your doctor and you've been diagnosed with cancer. It's bad. And you, with the power of your intellect and the help of Google, somehow find the cure for cancer. Now, I don't know if any of you ever will, but it'd be cool if you did. Wouldn't we love a cure for cancer? Let's say you did. Let's say you found it. You got passionate about it. You did the research. You found the cure for cancer. You tried it on yourself, and you were cured. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? And then you kept it to yourself. You didn't tell anybody. You, you had friends with cancer, but you didn't share that with them. You, you could have given it to your doctor. You could have gone down to UTMC and handed out the result. You could, have, you could have let other people know, but instead you hung on to it. What kind of person would you be? Selfish? Greedy? Immoral? Evil? If you had something so powerful, and yet you hung on to it without giving it to somebody else... Not only did you miss the point, that's just wrong. Now, look, I don't know if any of you will ever find the cure for cancer, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt you have the cure for some other things. And there are people who need encouragement in your world, and you've got it for them. And you're going to interact with people this week, maybe in the next hour, who need hope. And you just came from the source. There are individuals in your world who need healing. They need deliverance. They need help in practical ways and spiritual ways. We interact with people all the time who need salvation. And you've got it. You've had that spiritual experience. And if you and I simply just hold on to it, man, have we missed the point. My challenge to you, my encouragement to you, is that you would not miss it. If you have it, give it away. Because if you hold on to it, and, and I, I know this, you'll get stale and weird. But if you'll open up and say, Holy Spirit, let me be a, a channel that you can work through. That's what we're going to see all through this book of Acts. If you'll say, Holy Spirit, work through me. It's amazing what God can do. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Whether you're, you're here in this room or auditorium too. Maybe you're watching on a screen somewhere. Look, and first, maybe when I talked about Jesus being the, the Lord and Messiah, that cut to your heart. And, and you said, what I need is that salvation. It's available to you. Scripture says those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you need that salvation today, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And when I pray, I'm going to ask you to pray in your own heart and simply just say what we talked about today. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And as you pray that in your heart, there's also something powerful about then taking a step of faith. If you pray that today for the first time, I'm going to ask you to go down to our Connection Center when we're done here. There's friends there that will pray with you. They'll encourage you. They'll talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And you can experience that new life today. Others of you may be here today and, and, and you want to experience that, that power of what he can do as your healer and as the one who deals with fear. Again, there's, there's a whole room full of people down in our Connection Center off the atrium that would love to pray with you for any reason today before you go. 
But before we leave this room, I want to pray about what we've talked about. Because as I was talking for some of you, there was a place that came to mind. I don't know if it was school or work or home or neighborhood or or a a relationship of some kind where the Holy Spirit was speaking to your heart. I, I want to use you in that place to show myself to others. There are people there who need the cure for what you have to offer. You can bring it. For some of you, there, there's, a, there's a person that's come to mind. A spouse, a child, a family member, a coworker, a friend, neighbor. And the Spirit's speaking to you about the fact that the experiences that you've had aren't about you. They're wonderful. They're great. I want to continue to have them. But they're all about empowerment and being prepared for what God wants to do through you. And there's a person in your world who needs to see Jesus in you in a new way, in a clearer way. Maybe even there's somebody that God's spoken to your heart with a, with a spirit of grace and compassion about going to them and warning and pleading them about the, the love that Jesus has to offer. And for some of you, the most important thing that can happen today is for you to say, Holy Spirit, I'm open. Holy Spirit, work in me. I don't want to be closed up with with what you've done in my life. But I want it to touch others and change lives in the world around me. Spirit of God, thanks for the way that you work in our lives. And and you work corporately, but then you work individually as well. Lord, I'm confident that you're, you're personally stirring in many of us right now. This is the next step. This is what it looks like. This is what happens next. That as your spirit moves in us, that we would lift Jesus up. That others would see that. That God, as a result, their lives would be changed. Then even more people would know the grace of who you are. Lord, we pray that in 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 a revival way that you would work through us so that our community and our world would never be the same because of what the spirit of God does through the people of Calvary Church. Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, would you send us out with your boldness and your empowerment, with your grace and the discernment of your spirit. Would you send us from here with your special favor, with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.